Hi, Robin. Big man, how you doing? What's happening? Well, we're, we're in lockdown now, so, you know, lockdown two, here we come. It's D7 or D8 we're in now, so, uh, yeah, having fun. Make sure you don't cross the fucking border, you boys, honestly. We don't need That's a it. lockdown up here. Just you stay where you are, big guy. Navy trips, oh. Navy trips back up home to have a few beers and watch the football and all that. Just you Listen, stick to where you are in Aylesbury, you know? I've got a passport. I can go either side of this border. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we've, we, we've just had a big announcement today. We have escaped the lockdown. We're going with the tier system. Apparently, it's working. God knows how they're managing to stop all these folk from Glasgow and Edinburgh and Dundee having house parties, but they're managing to do something. I don't know. They had 3,000 uh, visits by police to house parties in September or something like that in Scotland. But you know what? We're getting there. It's not too bad just now. We've still got our swimming pools open, the ones that did reopen. Uh, so work is still there, you know? So we're, we're okay. Um whether whether we should have had a lockdown like you guys or not, time will tell on that number. But uh, from a selfish point of view, I'm delighted that we're not. You know, you can just go and sit and watch your Netflix just now, big guy. And, and uh... listen, <laughs> listen. Do you know what? I was I was dreading it, but Robin, I've done really well. So um, this week I'm at a couple of schools and then uh, doing some work at Legoland. So that's uh, it's quite good. And next week, um, again, working in a school and then I'm uh, working in university. And because obviously swimming can be part of the curriculum, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. But after, the week after that, then it goes dead. So that's when I thought I'll come over the border and nip your work. Aye, aye, aye. I'm all booked off. up enemy big guy. There's no need to come up and steal my work. Listen, if you want to come up and help me, then that's fine. So what's, what's happening this week? What, what are we talking about? So this week we're going, uh, well, it was actually one of our listeners asked for this, so we're going, there has been quite a few requests and we have got them all still noted, but this week we're going back to basics. So that's what they've asked for, for us to go back to basics. Back to basics. So are we going back to when I was working as a supervisor or SLA, call it whatever you want, 25, 26 years ago, uh, where I was using a comparator to do my water testing? Fantastic. Or are we uh, maybe not going that far back? No, we're not going that far back. You know, that's typically ancient. But I think what we will do, well, it's a good place to start though, Robin, pool testing. If we're going back to basics, that's where I think we should need to start. Do you know what I was going to say? This is, certainly if you're in England, this is an ideal opportunity to get your photometers calibrated. Big time. Absolute ideal opportunity to get them sent off, get them calibrated. Uh, supposed to be done annually anyway and um, yeah what do you think getting calibrated this time I just got one in the day from is it Mark Lydon he's just sent one I've just got one in the day just to be put uh, away to get calibrated so um, yeah listen people are actually starting to get their, their fingers out and starting to get uh, they're, they're, they're starting to comply with us get the, getting the annual calibration certificate listen it's crucial. See, see. I don't know if you remember the guy called Mister Loophole, uh, Ian, the guy that used to get off of the speeding fines and the driving bans. Yeah, actually, I'll give you a funny story. 
his pal from university was on a pool plant operators course of mine uh, a number of years ago uh, in Edinburgh. Um, and he he told us exactly how Mr. Loophole managed to get uh, all these uh, footballers off for speeding fines. And what he did was he questioned, he questioned the equipment that the police were using to try and prosecute them. So he was like, the first of all, he he questioned the training of the police officer using the equipment. Was he trained? When was the last time he was trained? And all that sort of stuff. And it, this is really applicable to what we do, you know, because uh, we need to provide yeah. proper training for people to use the equipment. So then he went down that route. And then when when the, when all the police officers got all themselves sorted out in terms of their training and all that and compliance and all signed off, brilliant. Next time, he questioned the equipment. When was it last calibrated? Who calibrated it? All that sort of stuff. So when that was all questioned and when the judge never got the right answer from the, 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 the authorities, then every, every time it got thrown out, now obviously the, 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 the police obviously got wise to it and they, they're pretty strict and they comply with everything now. But that wasn't, you know, they, they've done that after Mr. Loopholes managed to get about 20 footballers off paying their fines and getting fine, you know, getting banned for driving. You know, it's the same for your swimming pool water test kit. See if you don't get them calibrated, don't look after them, don't have somebody trained who does the, the water testing. And if, if the worst case scenario occurs in your facility and something goes wrong where you get an outbreak of an infectious disease or a chemical incident, and you've got somebody seeking compensation. And bearing in mind, uh, a big cryptosporidium outbreak uh, in East Renfrewshire, uh, the pool there had to pay out £100,000 in compensation in 2005 for their incident. So well, it, does, Robin, it does happen, you know. So, And there's one down your neck of the woods that was similar. That was yeah. double that, big guy, double that. Hey, I, was, I, was about to, yeah. I was about to say, mate, there, um, there's, there's quite a famous one that's about four or five hundred yards from my house. Yeah. That's how close I am to it. It happens, and, uh, it happens Ian, doesn't yeah. it? A compensation gets paid out, and if you're a decent prosecution lawyer or somebody fighting on behalf of the, the defendants, the people that are seeking con compensation, the easiest thing in the world to do is to start uh, shooting people down. When did you calibrate your, your, your pool test unit? You know, let's see your training certificates. All of that gets hauled out in front of court. And I don't know if you remember the last meeting that we had with Big Mister uh, Return of the Jedi Ian Nix down at a uh, uh, tag training Palm Academy meeting. Remember the picture he put up, the photo, of the test kit. And, yeah. And uh, and and that was, and he explained that that had been used in court, and it meant all the test results were the there was no credibility in the test results used uh, no. for the defence. And uh, the judge was like, well, if that's going to be the extent and the efficiency of your equipment, then I can't, I can't use your, your test results as evidence. So this is all real crucial. And yet it's always one of these things where it's a bit like COVID-19. You never think you're going to get it. You never think you're going to die from it. You never think it's going to affect you. But it does, you know, it does. I'm afraid it does. And the, the swimming pool situation where we have incidents and, and, if we haven't got our calibration certificate, if we haven't looked after equipment, if we haven't got a procedure, if we haven't got training, then if it goes tits up, guys, listen, you've only got yourself to blame. So myself yeah. and Ian are here to help you out if 
if indeed you need help with that. But you're right. We need to have the right equipment and we need to get procedures, calibration, training all done. You're spot on there, Ian. And what, yeah. what would you what would you say is the going back to the basics, how many times a day would you say? And you can put an opinion in this and you can also add in the pew tag standards. How often would you do a water test? Well, I'll give you an example. So today I was at, I'm being at a school, special needs school. It's not externally hired. It's open from nine till three. So I'll go minimum three times a day, which is the pew tag standard. They don't automatic dozing. So I said to the guys this morning, they start at seven, they finish at three, these two caretakers I was with. I said, I'd probably get my first test in about eight o'clock. Give yourself about an hour to get your pool ready. Another one about lunchtime and then one at about three o'clock before you leave. Um, you know, perfect. Um, but then for the, the facilities with, with um, longer opening hours, you know, typical a public pool nowadays, you're opening at six. Some are even as early as half five in the morning for the swim clubs now. Finishing sort of 10, half past 10 at night. Obviously, pre-test before anyone does anything in the water, you know, gets in the water. Then definitely I'd be saying at least every two or three hours throughout the day. So you're ending up somewhere between about sort of five to seven tests, depending on what sort of pattern you pick. And that's with an automatically dosed pool, which would look at a commercial setting. Um, you know, a hand-dosed pool, much more difficult to control, Robin. Uh, much more difficult. And also, not just that, you've got to have a space in between lessons or sessions to adequately dose the chemical to be able to give it time to disperse. Um, PewTag have got a really good video on YouTube from a pool in Sweden in 2016 uh, showing you about um, dynamic flow of a swimming pool or how the hydraulics work. Um, it's, it's speeded up. Um, and I think if I remember rightly, it's, it's 13 minutes, in, uh, the actual timing of it, where, Robin, I forget the name of it now because I'm having a nightmare today. What's the name of the dye we use again? Uh, Erichrome Black Tea uh, dye, um, which is yeah. supplied by myself for anyone that wants to get any. This is a great time to use it when you're in lockdown to check your circulation, and you'd be amazed. Yeah. I tell you what, we need to get that video up on that Facebook page or somewhere or something, you know, that, okay. that you know, we need to try and so that people can see it. Now, the video takes 13 minutes, but the actual it's, it's speeded up, as Ian says. It could take you it could take you sometimes half an hour, 40 minutes. And I've even seen a couple of videos where it's taken two hours for the whole day to get around the, the pool, and that's quite concerning. You know, that, that particular video that Ian's talking about is actually of a fairly new pool, a new build. So uh, you'd expect it to be good. So And that that is a decent one. And if you do do it, Robin, I'd be using a camera, a phone to record a time-lapse video. Yeah. Um, you know, record it as a video and then you can obviously speed it up later because that's one of the things that the EHO will ask you on their checklist. Yeah. You know, have you had a eye test to confirm the flow? As well as um, one of the questions they ask you, Robin alluded to before, is when's the last time your um, photometer is calibrated? So, um, you know, and that should be a file. And if you're a new build, and you'd be surprised how many I go wrong now, Robin, a new build, that should be supplied as part of the build. 100%. I know that. Yep, yep, 100%. Barn Ray will give you a disc or even yep. a, a USB with it, and uh, you'll get a video of the actual die test. You should be able to produce that. And once you've got it, it's done, unless you unless you get works done on the, the unit. If you get a refurbishment, change your filtration or whatever, that's when you would redo it. But apart from that, and if you've not had any changes... Once you've got your video, that's you done until you make some changes. There was, uh, I don't know if 
if I'm, you'll need to correct me if I'm wrong, Ian, but there was a wee suggestion by Putag that it was potentially you needed to do it every five years, but I don't think that is set in stone. And I'm pretty sure in the new Putag book, it just says you should have one, as in evidence that you've done a dye test. I don't think the five years comes into it, right? I'm sure, I'm sure you'll have it at hand or off the top of your head, big guy, or you'll have the <laughs> fucking blue book sitting there, ready to go and well, check, it, check it, you know? It just so happens <laughs> that I do have the blue book. <laughs> um, yeah, so it does just happen. To, but Robin, just while I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a quick flick through the blue book just to make sure, because there is subtle changes in this where um, sometimes I don't know if it is there or not. But um, the pull was up the other day there. We're still talking on pull testing. They were doing um, pH test, free chlorine test. Yeah. Yeah. No DPD number three. Yeah. And then, believe it or not, straight away, they'd also do a second test to confirm the first test. <laughs> so I said, look, um, you don't need to do this. Um, it's, not, it's not a requirement. So what you need to do is do your, your DPD one, your DPD three, and your phenol red. And that's the regular test that we're going to do every... Um, sort of, you know, three times a day or whatever it might be. Um, and um, they hadn't been shown the DPD-3. Hadn't been shown the DPD-3. So um, that's something I introduced to them. So they're still trying to get their head around it. Um, but that's what I'd expect, same as you when you go to a place, that those are the, the tests that they have done. Along, along with the pH, absolutely. Uh... You, you can't monitor the performance of your pool without doing a DPD-3 because you can't assess what the waste products is in the water. You don't know what the combined is. You don't know if you've got organics. You don't know if you've had increased pollution at some point. Um, you don't know if your free chlorine is the, at the necessary level that is required to kill and oxidise in the pool. So, listen, you need to pH... DPD-1, free chlorine, DPD-3, total chlorine to get the combined. Minimum three times a day if you've got automatic control. And I'd agree with you. Now, I've got mo most clients that operate local authorities, commercial pools, are probably every three to four hours. With the first test, has to be prior to anyone getting, getting in because that's the most important test because you've had all night for something to go wrong. But, yeah, procedures... Get a procedure because, do you know what? Seeing doing a water test, however many times a day, five times a day, if you're doing that day in, day out, seven days a week or five days a week or how often you're in, it becomes monotonous, becomes a pain in the ass, becomes the same shit every day. And if you're in a good facility, the, the results don't deviate that much. So it becomes, you get complacent, you cut corners, you don't do the job right. But you need to have training. You have to have a procedure. You have to have a supervisor that comes round and says, right, bro, that's great. That's been done properly. Or somebody that can spot the fact that, hi, that guy's just written in the same fucking test every for the last three or four tests. You need to be able to spot that and it needs to be checked. Absolutely. It's the, it's the most crucial job that you could do in terms of checking that the swimming pool water is safe. So it's really, it's, it, like the amount of times that I go into facilities and I see that somebody's no bother doing a test, uh, no got around to yeah. it, or you can tell that it's been just written in without the test being done, or there's no action on it, it's no been signed. If you've not recorded it properly, then that could, again, that could be evidence of, 
that could be used in court that will shoot you down. So it's crucial, guys. Honestly, I know it seems mundane. And, it seems a pain in the ass, but it's crucial. And Robin, so let's think other water tests. So, um, and this is one that gets le left by the wayside. We're talking about calibrating photometers, but who's had their um, TDS meter calibrated? Aye, aye, exactly. I mean, you, some of them you can you can calibrate them yourself. You know, using you can the one the one I've got you can calibrate. I can calibrate yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah, that can be done. That can be done. Right, listen, it's it's not it's not that difficult. It's not that difficult. You know, it just needs just. Do you know what? It comes down to your plan, preventative maintenance schedule, doesn't it? If we're going back to basics, mm. that is the basics of the basics. A list of what you need to do every day, weekly, uh, bi-weekly, fortnightly or whatever, or monthly. All the stuff like, yeah. you know, cleaning out your... Go back to what Dave Dave Parry was talking about with the calcium hypochlorite. We were talking about how important it is to do plant preventative maintenance on HDH stuff. Uh, because I live in the soft water area, a lot of people are using calcium hypochlorite. You need to be cleaning out the injectors maybe every third Thursday or every second Friday or whatever it is. But you need to have it written down on a, a planned preventative maintenance routine and that is crucial. Cleaning out the probes, cleaning out the wee strainer basket for the automatic controller, getting your photometer calibrated annually, getting your back to the logical test results stored. Yeah and filed away monthly, blah, blah, blah. All of that needs to be down on a list. I'm, I did see someone ask for that on the Facebook page, so that's good that people are, you know, that one particular individual anyway is, is, is obviously looking to improve that or, or assess where they're at. So that has got to be a starting block. What do we need to do? And then how do we do it? You know, that's the next bit, isn't it? So, Robin, let's let's talk parameters here. So, TDS, nice and simple one, a thousand above the mains. So, you've got to test your mains weekly. You've got to um, add a thousand to it, and you want to target less than that. I had a pool a couple of weeks ago that sat at six thousand one hundred just now, and uh, I said, so I said to them, look, it's a small steps, constant dilution, get it down, probably get it down by January. Now, that was before we obviously knew we were going into lockdown. So now I'd probably say. For any of you out there who are suffering with high TDS levels, this is probably the ideal opportunity when you're hibernating your swimming pool in here in England. Not obviously not up in Scotland, we're not, but um, that's less of a problem. High TDS is in Scotland because the water. Um, but it's an ideal opportunity to get the dilution going. You're not worried about a big temperature influx, and get your TDSs back down to a thousand above the mains. Or if you are in a saltwater generated swimming pool and there's not many around, but there's a few knocking about no more than 1,500 above the mains. You might have a hypolyzer from Gaffney's or something along those lines um, if you're sort of a, you know, that type of swim pool. I know there's quite a few where you are in Scotland as well. There, is, uh, there is quite a lot, the, the hypolyzers. Um, yeah. And traditionally, you will, you will get a higher TDS. There's no doubt about that. But then, you know, we've talked about this in the past. There's bad TDS and there's not so bad TDS. But, if you, yeah. you know, I would be asking the question, how come or why the TDS was up at six in the first place. I mean that. I mean that's. Yeah. I don't have to come across a lot of TDS difficulties because obviously it's a soft water area. But then when somebody has very high TDS in Scotland, then it's like right, okay, let's go and have a wee look at it because it's extraordinary for that to occur. Um, but there, you know, the reason you know what's the reason behind it was it a lack of dilution, lack of backwashing. Were they throwing chemical to treat chemical and chasing their tail? 
you know, uh, where they're using sodium bisulfate along with sodium hypochlorite and trying to get their alkalinity up. And all that was happening was they were they were getting loads of bisulfate pumped in at the end of each night. You've got to look at the, the cause of the problem because mm. if you treat it and you don't change the cause, then you're just going to be chasing your tail again, aren't you? But this comes, you know, it's yeah, no, the TDS one's a tough one because really we need to get back to the basics as in what's in the TDS. Is it sulfates? Is it chlorides? Is it chlorates? Yes. You know, or is it just sodium but, salts? Are you using sodium hypochlorite, which, you know, the TDS might be a wee bit higher, but that's okay because it's not dangerous TDS. You just would, you, as you say, yeah. you can incrementally bring it down over a period of time through through dilution, which is a nice good way to do it. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that. So there's a couple of tests that really go by the wayside, uh, sulfate testing and chloride testing. Now, uh, you can pick up a sulfate turbidity kit really cheaply. Chloride testing is, again, a different kit if you're going to use that. Uh, less commonly t tested, but you have to think about, well, what you don't necessarily have to test for these because you have to think about what chemicals actually add to the problem. So sulfates, we're looking at um, sodium bisulfate, sulfuric acid, and aluminium sulfate. So if you use any of those three, uh, and testing for that, you should be less than 360 milligrams per litre. Uh, we usually do that off a little turbidity test kit. Uh, I know that certainly Lovey Bond do one. I'm sure Palin tests do one as well. That's very similar. Um, not the easiest thing to use because they're off a visual and have a good look at that black dot. Aye, there's, there's other ways of doing it. You, uh, see if you've got a Palin test uh, photometer. I mean, there's some places, I know that some of my clients have got maybe a maintenance guy who's got a 7500 or... You know, even the pool test 25 does a few tests, but, you know, you can do sulfates, you can do iron, copper, you can do, uh, you know, chlorides, and you, there's a variety of tests. Aluminium you can do with the 7500. So if you've got a fancy test kit like that, maybe you're in a big authority that's got 10 swimming pools, it's worthwhile buying the, the reagents and going around doing these tests yourselves. Now, if you don't want to go at that length, if you don't want to go and buy any kit, if you don't want to use a decent photometer or borrow it or hire it in or whatever you can do, you could, you could organise for your uh, water analysis, your monthly water analysis that goes to the lab, the bacteriological analysis, you could organise a chemical analysis as well. And there are, I've got a number of clients that do that on a six-monthly basis, and they'll get a full chemical analysis of their pool just to assess those levels. And then that can give you a wee indicator, Ian, because then if you need to start doing further tests... Yeah. Or if you get results that are a wee bit close to the bone in terms of the parameters, then you can start doing more tests. So you, you might say, we better get a, get a wee uh, sulfate turbidity uh, sensor in and start doing that more regularly. They do say that that should be done twice a month if if you're showing some levels, you know, if. Yeah. I mean, in Scotland, you're, you're probably looking at, as you know, some guys doing it every six months, and then if they see something, then they'll do it more often. Yeah, and uh, if you are going to test for uh, chlorides, um, oh, I need to think now. Six hundred eighty milligrams per liter. Six seventy is it? Six or was it six eighty? Six seventy. Six eighty, I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, and uh, polyaluminium chlorides one, you're going to suffer with that which is one of the more commonly used chemicals for this. 
Um, that's one of the ones that will donate into it as well. But also any um, uh, chloride-based chemicals ah, also. Yeah, hydrochloric acid um, might contribute to it. Uh, just depends on on a certain certain factors that are involved in in the in the actual um, waste products that you're putting in the water. So, ah, I mean, there's 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 a variety of uh, cleaning chemicals, solvents, lots of things that are going into the pool that can contribute to these levels. Um, sometimes it could be something simple as the the stuff that you're using to clean the poolside, and that could be going into the balance tank, and and that could be increasing certain levels. So you just need to be you, you just need to uh, be uh, just make sure you're doing the test. Also, the other one is the phosphates, phosphate levels. Um, yes, there's a lot of cleaning chemicals that have uh, have got phosphoric acid in them. You've also got uh, Scottish water or Northumberland water or Thames water using phosphates to protect or stop the leaching of lead out the pipes. So you've got you, you've potentially got phosphates coming in from the source water, potentially phosphates going into the water from your cleaning chemicals, and that can add food for for algae and bacteria and so on. And you can that can cause p- potential algae blooms in your pool, and that might be exacerbated by sunshine coming in as well so that that might be a wee test that you you can organize maybe you know every six months or potentially if you've got a good photometer you might be able to do that get the reagents and do a wee test for that as well you can also get the wee phosphate tests that when i used to use them in when i was uh, uh, keeping uh, coral reef tanks i did that as a wee hobby but three kids at the house means that it's uh, it becomes a bit of a traumatic experience when the fish die, you know, especially when they cost a fortune and the kids get attached well, to them. But we, I used to buy a wee phosphate test kit and you used to just compare it to a wee chart and that was a nice wee easy way of, of detecting if you've got high phosphates or not. I mean, it's not going to give you an accurate reading, but what it will do is it will say, my word, your phosphates are quite high. Or, nah, there's trace, you know, there's very little. And then if, you, if you've if you got high, then you can go into more detail by getting an organised uh, sample taken. Well, mate, I'm not being funny. If you do the crime, you've got to do the tank. <laughs> and you've got, you've got three life senses sat I, well, right there. That means I, I used to, listen, I used to do loads of things and just uh, keeping coral fish was, uh, was just one of those things I did in the past. But see, when you're ferrying kids to football and, netball and gymnastics and you've got them running about, you just didn't get the time to do all the stuff you'd like to do but you know, yeah, going back to the phosphates, phosphates are really, really important for, you know, the levels when you're you're, you're keeping that yeah. that uh, flora and fauna in the water, you've got, a, you know, I used to use reverse osmosis water to top up and dilute and, and uh, it just shows you, you know, the amount of stuff that we can have in our source water these days, and it can have an impact on the guys that are managing their swimming pools. So it's something to have a wee think about. But that's going back to the, the real basics, right down to what's coming into your pool, and and it's just about monitoring and just taking action, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. So, Robin, I think let's uh, let's start poolside. So it depends on your system, but um, if you've got a skimmer box. System, you need to take, stay on top of your skimmers. Um, you know, you'd be surprised. Only a couple of weeks ago, I was at a pool the other day. There, opened up the skimmers. They're like, "Oh, what are those?" And I was like, "Yeah, you got to open these up, guys." Um, and it depends. You know, if you're in an outdoor pool, 
uh, this time of year in the autumn in the winter sort of thing, if your pool's still open, uh, you know, you're going to be doing these. One of my local pools does these three, four times a day. The amount of leaves that are getting in there. Um, but I did one today in a pool that was hibernating just to demonstrate. You're lucky if there's two strands of hair in there. So it's a pretty simple one. But I'll tell you what, Robin, although it might be a bit late in the day, this lockdown might be a great opportunity for your massive, balance tank. Massive, massive opportunity. And honestly, Ian, the thing is, uh, you should see some of the photos uh, of uh, the lockdown photos I've had from some of the engineers in Scotland, because obviously it's a good opportunity for people to go in and get the balance tanks done. Mm. And the thing is, they're, they're a confined space, so you need to have your confined spaces training. Um, but most people just just organise a contractor to go in, which is the easy option, and that's probably the best option. But um, some of the stuff that's been hauled out of the balance tanks is absolutely frightening. You could probably start a recycling plant, honestly, with the, with the amount of stuff that these guys have been hauling out. <laughs> I'm sure there was mobile phones and shoes and everything, you know. It's just swim costumes, and I'm thinking, how do folk get out of the pool? You know, when they swim costume. But I tell you, the other thing, I, you know, we might, I might be having a laugh about it, but see, the other thing that's uh, a real problem with balance tanks is biofilm, because you're taking you're taking eighty percent of water going into the balance tanks coming from the top, and that's where seventy five percent of the shite is. So it's going into the balance tank, and if it's sitting in there for a prolonged period of time, and you're not, if you're keeping your balance tank fairly, you know, some of them are maybe closed. You know, and they're all, they're they're not operating yeah. uh, fully the balance tank. Then that that's going to create dirt on the walls, and you're going to potentially get that scum line and you know biofilm. So that's when you need to. Well, there's some guys that use the desopure, the chlorine dioxide. They fill up the balance tank right to the top. They close off the valve. They put the the desopure in, and then that eats into the biofilm, and then they do do a wee flush through the overnight, and that's it. Job done. And it's a listen. It's one of these jobs you've got to do. You've got to do it once a year. But you've got at least to check check the the balance tanks once a year. But really, if you're going to get the check done, you're as well getting them cleaned. And it's a it's a right good point that you make. Yeah. That should be in your planned preventative maintenance routine. Balance tanks once a year. Get checked, cleaned if need if needed. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Putax says cleaned once a year and inspected once a year. So probably inspection yeah. every once. And then six months later on the clean. So we're in the into the into the yep. plant room now, Robin. And you know what I would do now with chance of lockdown? I would stop the circulation and I would ensure that all the valves are moving freely. Um, you know, forward and back, forward and back. Because there's some valves that you never really turn, to be honest. Um, and you know, they can get quite stiff. So now's your opportunity, stop the circulation, move, turn all the valves back and forward, back and forward. Um, as slowly as possible as well. None of this stop and be violent with the system. Because um, today I was doing one, stop the system, showing them how to clean the strainer, which will come on at the minute. And the um, the pre-valve to the strainer wouldn't close fully. Uh, it was a ball valve. And um, it obviously, uh, it, the rubber had swollen in it or potentially it had been, um, got some sand particles in there and they're just stopping it from fully turning. Uh, so it didn't hold very well when it opened up the strainer. But I'd be getting all the valves turned at this point. So I had fun in games today when there's loads of water pouring out. <laughs> ah, that happens, doesn't it? These uh, these valves seize, especially if you've got these gate valves, Ian. I don't know about you, but I was uh, doing an, an update course last week and the guys, because they were closing down, they were talking about March, they were closing down for the lockdown and they were wanting to empty their pool. And they couldn't open the gate valve that, that was the, 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 the drain valve. 
Um, and uh, they actually think it that it was actually stuck slightly open because when they have everything off, they were starting to lose water just ever so slightly, you know, over a period of time. So mm. they, they couldn't move the valve at all. It was an old gate valve, and that can happen with those old gate valves if they're not being, no, you know, as you say, if you're not checking them, turning them, you know, trying. Fact, thankfully, now we've got the, the, the butterfly valves that are probably a wee bit uh, easier to, to maintain, but the only thing with them is that they can get misused and abused, and you can see, you, you know, I, I had a member of staff, I'm going back many, many, well, decades ago, where he was doing a, 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 whenever he did a backwash, he used to fling the valves open just to sh show that the pipework could be flexible, you know, and you're just thinking, what are you mad? You know, you're just crazy, man, you know, just look at that yeah. pipework, Rob, and I'm like, get the fuck, man, what are you going to do? You're going to bust it, you know? The pressure <laughs> differential, the pressure change there is crazy. Just do it slowly, big guy. With the gate valves, you had no choice but to have to do it slowly. That was the benefit of them, but obviously there's more moving parts, Archimedes, Style screws they can seize, so that's your that's your problem, yeah. isn't it? Uh, it's a good point, Ian. I like that. I like that. Uh, I always like to start from from the beginning of the the circulation. You know, the strainer basket would always be that would be my first strainer basket, yeah. cleaning out the strainer basket. And I think you've done quite a few of them recently, and you made a good point about actually draining them as well, uh, using the wee drain valve at the bottom that you can open up and you can re remove that. Uh, and and empty it completely, which is which is a good wee it's a good wee caller. I'm sure you've done a, done that recently. I think it was mentioned on the podcast as well, which is good. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a uh, one of these um, integrated. I think it was a steroid pump, to be honest. Uh, self priming steroid pump, sort of 2900 rpm, and it's got a it's it's strainer lid is is almost just purely perspex, and they were putting a screwdriver under it all the time, trying to wedge it up. And they were chipping the edges of it all the time, struggling to get a seal. And then they said to me, how, how, do, how do we get this open? This is We're ruining this lid. And uh, the guys there try to do it release the you know, without the screwdriver. I think they Superman. Uh, yeah, and I uh, released the pressure and lifted it. He didn't uh, release the pressure of the Robin. I lifted it up <laughs> with a couple of fingers. I said, I said you need to get in the gym, gym big man. What, what's going on with this? It's supposed to... I'm not just, uh, yeah, get, we're not just work here. Get a wee so, bit uh, of Vaseline for the next time as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's the key when you do it, guys. Be careful with the O-ring. Uh, you know, there's a very delicate O-ring there. And make sure the O-ring's not going brittle. Uh, make sure it's not getting any flat spots. And um, make sure, you know, the O-ring sits quite comfortably in the housing as well. I mean, obviously, the strainer's a bit of a pain because... Uh, Sometimes it'd be a bit fiddly to clean if you if you've got a spare, that'd be fantastic. Um, if you've got a spare, that is. But if you haven't, unfortunately, you've just got to clean it. That's the that's the the tough part of it. So, Rob, we've done the strainer. We're moving along the system. You probably want to check. I would have got. I would have said something like the just to have a little glance at the floor meter. I wouldn't expect anyone to be repairing it. But have a glance, see if it looks accurate. See if you when you start and stop the pumps if it is actually moving off the needles just wedged. Um, also, yeah, that's probably key the, there. The, the, the flow meters, a lot of these flow meters need calibrated. Yeah, you know that's that's one thing. Yes, that, uh, people never do. Uh, I, I've the, the only swimming pools that lately that I've been in that have actually had their 
flow meter calibrated as, uh, well, was one that was uh, looked after by SP Filtration, um, and they're 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 pretty good at uh, organising the calibration of the flow meter. So that's just something to bear in mind. Again, it's you know you just don't know what your flow rate is if your flow meter's not been calibrated. Most of them are all right. Most of them are reliable unless you've got one of these. Uh, the old style ones with the mercury in them, and they're now illegal. So you need you need to try and replace them if you've got them still in. I've, I don't know if you've seen any of them of late, Ian. The, the mercury ones. No, not for a while, mate. Really, not for a while. Um, yeah. So, flow meter done. What about the sample line? Oh, why the well? The I don't know about you, Ian, but one of the the most common issues. With a sample line, uh, or people, you, you th- I, I tend to ask people how often you calibrate your controller. Well, we're having to do it every day, Robin. And I'm like, you're joking. Have you cleaned the probes? Aye, we have had the, the probes cleaned. Uh, have you cleaned out the wee strainer? What wee strainer? And then you show them the wee strainer and you go in and it's yeah. absolutely clogged. And that changes the pressure of the water that goes into the probes and then it sends it to Lally, especially if you've got a wee, uh, the old Biolab one. What's that? Uh, barrel, barrel, the barrel Why one, straight up? the the barrel one. Uh, any changes in pressure, even after a backwash or that, a change in pressure for the old barrel unit drives it bananas, and it takes about four hours for it to calm down. I like I like the inline strainers nowadays because most of them are clear. But when you had the old Y strainers like we used to have in the past, those used to be an absolute bloody nightmare because you couldn't see whether they were um, you know dirty or not, and they were tiny the Y strainers as well. You know, really, really fine. They were about a thickness of, I'd yeah. say, a, a biro pen kind of thing. Um, where this new, the new ones, the, the bobbin ones, are so much better. Um, got a lot of space in them, um, and 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 they're clear, so you can see if they need done. And I, I don't know about you, Robin, but my main protocol with them is just undo or well, isolate them. You don't need to stop the pull circulation because you don't need to stop in a five or ten mil uh, polyurethane pipe usually. I, no, I normally take them apart, go to, go a sink run the cold water and just use a light Aye. toothbrush uh, to give it a bit of a, bit of a, a light brush. Not a scrub, like you scrub your teeth in the morning. A very, very light brush. Um, just to get the rubbish off them, really, and then put them back together and off you go. But again, be very careful. Yeah, There's another yeah, O-ring in yeah. there. Also, you, you need, at the same time, I would be looking at uh, cleaning out my wee flow switch chamber as well, you know especially on the wee Dulco marine units or something that's similar to that. Uh, and you keep, well, listen, that should be in your plan for preventative maintenance as well, is checking that wee, that wee flow switch is, uh, is indeed uh, hovering there because, see, if that's not right, that's, that's, that's your fail-safe. That's your fail-safe if things go wrong, if, the, if we get a power cut, if we get the, the circulation pumps going off. We don't want that chemical dosing unit continuing and that wee fail-safe uh, fail switch, the flow switch, if it doesn't come down, then you're going to continue to keep dozing. And I, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen where someone switched everything off and it's still there because it's stuck, because there's residue around the chamber or whatever. just takes it. It's a nice simple one, that, isn't it? Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you would use the, the toothbrush for that. Uh, it's more probably a wee wipe would be better because you don't want to be creating any grooves or any scratches in the chamber itself. No, I used to use Robin. Um, again, um, because it's almost the perfect shape for that. I used to use the little uh, tissue. Aye, of... as long as you don't scratch it, that's the main thing, you know. 
But then that's that's quite mm-hmm. a it's quite a gentle cleaner. Anything that's a gentle cleaner, that's what you want, so that you don't want to create any. Yeah, it just uh, it was a, it was a little perfect fit. So I've used that in the past. Right. So Rob, we're still in front of this controller, so we've, we've got to clean the probes now. Let's just stress this before we say anything. Check with your manufacturer because if you've got a a Kunz system, um, it's got a self cleaning probe. Um, you know, and, and the different probes clean different ways. Like these control system uses glass beading. Uh, the barrel copper analyte, you don't really clean it, uses the beading as well. Um, but if, if, if you've got something like a top line system or an easy troll, you're talking about the pH probe in that one. Um, I've been using a, a Crystal WD, one of my clients got one of them. It's the only time I've ever seen one, to be honest. It's a Golden Coast controller. I think it's a, a, a WDP one, to be honest. Um, so that's that's one that I've used in the past. Um, but uh, hopefully you've got a wee bottle of uh, Pro Cleaner from your manufacturer. Uh, so, I mean, it's that's still a wee one. acid, doesn't it? Uh, you know, some people I have seen in the past uh, use just uh, some hydrochloric acid or whatever to, as uh, an alternative. I would recommend actually just getting the probe cleaner because it comes in a nice wee handy bottle. The biggest problem that you've got when you're cleaning the probes is that you actually... You, you know, some people will let the, the probe become dry, you know, in, in process of cleaning it. And that's it. You know, if you if you let your probe become dry, that can be ruined. So the probe cleaning uh, tubs are, are very handy because you can dunk them in. They're designed specifically for the probes to be cleaned. So, but I spot on whatever in there, Ian. I think you've pretty much covered that. It's, uh, you know, some facilities will not do the probe cleaning because they'll get someone else in to do it. That's okay. That's fine. Uh, they can cost a fortune, you know. You're talking two hundred yeah. quid for just your your average probe for for the expensive ones. You're talking eight, nine hundred quid, even a thousand pounds, you know. So, Robin, now that we've done that, and this is one thing we always stress, I know on our courses, never calibrate um, with a dirty yeah. probe. I always clean the probe first and give it. I normally say. Um, don't over-calibrate is my sort of... I'm a fan of not over yeah. It just starts going all over the place, to be honest, when you over-calibrate. It just starts going up, it starts going down, it's just, you know, all the rest. Of it. And, and also, just be conscious of the fact that um, Top Line is the only system that standardises that I know of. Um, the system, I don't know if you know of any aye, Rob, aye. others, Robin, but totally I think it's just Top Line. Standardises. Yeah, it's- it's quite quite high maintenance, isn't it? You know, but yeah, it's it's a pretty simple and straightforward. Not used it that much. You know. Um, yeah, it does. It's the only one I know to be standard. Taking a controller in more than once a week, to be honest, you need to let it do its job. But if you're calibrating more than once a week, then there's an issue. You've not been... <laughs> got. It. Robin, you're breaking up a little bit there, mate. Robin, you're breaking up a little bit there. Uh, you're going a bit crackly. I don't know why, mate. So, yeah, when we... um, You went quiet now. No, I think it's just a phone or whatever. I'll make you go out and come back in. Okay. Um, so, yeah, when you calibrate the system... When you calibrate the system, then 
just be be conscious of the fact, and it depends where you are. Some of them will use buffer solutions. Other than other than, others will use um, simple pull tests from a sample point just under the the um, the unit itself. So you may well have to calibrate just off that, and you just sort of uh, do the system. Now, if you're unclear with it, again check with your manufacturer, uh, check with your pool maintenance company. Um, and just make sure you're confident with it. I wouldn't take on any of these tasks if you're not confident in it or if you've not had the appropriate training. So that's the key for the whole thing is to have the appropriate training. Aye, Are you back so. with us, Robin? I don't know. I've just been getting some interference. There must be maybe a lightning storm outside or something, you know. Uh, but uh, can you hear me okay now? Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect now. So we've done we've done the, uh, the unit. And, guys, the other thing as well, just be careful when you do remove probes that... Most of the probes, what you have to do is hold the probe in place and actually turn the top part of it, and that releases the cable first. So you're not twisting the whole unit and twisting the cable and sort of winding the wires almost. So um, that's something to be very careful Absolutely. of. I think Absolutely. we're done with the unit. Let's, uh, let's think about um, your PAC now, Robin, if you've got Absolutely, it, or your yeah. quagglant if you've got one. So there's not much in this, to be fair. You know, your peristaltic pump, I would just simply be just checking the rubber inside the peristaltic, making sure that seems okay. Injection yeah. lines seem a bit free and, and loose. Um, another the thing barrel is, really. uh, is just checking that you're dosing in the I, right amount. I get, asked, I get asked about that all the time. Uh, yes. The easiest thing to do there is to put your foot valve into a measuring jug of warm water, run the pump, and then assess how much liquid you dosed, how much of that water has gone down in relation to the time and in relation to the flow rate that you're getting on the flow meter. Does that make sense to you, to you? And have I made that? Yeah. So it, it's a dosing rate of 0.1 millilitres per cubic metre per hour. So if you've got a circulation rate, let's say, of 200 cubes per hour on your pole, um, then it should be only 20 mil it should be going per hour um, you're really breaking up Robin, I don't know if you want to dial out and dial in again mate. Um, so yeah it should be as low as about 20 you there my guy? Uh, yeah right, seems to be okay then it must have just been a bad line yeah it was I've, I've, it's uh, kicked that uh, recording out um, so I'll have to stitch them together. But yeah, I was just saying that um, if you do 0.1 millilitres per per cubic metre and you've got a circulation rate of 200 cubes, then it's only yeah. going to be 20 mil that's going yeah. in there. So that, that kind of gives you a bit of an idea um, of um, of uh, what's going to happen with it. Yeah, how much how much liquid you're looking for it to get those done. Yeah, I mean, it's something that get, I get asked all the time. How, how do I know my peristaltic pump is working correctly? And yeah, and or a lot of them, you know, eat, I still see people using the LMI pumps as well, which mm. really uh, doses far too much, and you can't get right down to the the low level that you you, you need unless you unless you've got a big big swimming pool and you're using a wee LMI pump. You know, you need to get something that's appropriate to to the size of your facility. You know, but yeah, I mean that's apart from I mean obviously the lines block up at times. You need to check them. The injector can block up as well that, uh, at times, but if it's installed correctly, then it shouldn't be too bad. It's when see when you get the injector points quite high up, 
from where the, the PAC dozen pump is. That's why, because it's gravity as well, that presents problems. And I've also, you know, people, when they're dozing straight from the drum, which is the right thing, I would always advise dozing straight from the PAC drum. But a lot of them leave the, the lid off. And sometimes you can get dirt, you can get contaminants going into the PAC drum. And that's, that's the nature of the beast, that's the nature of the chemical. And that can during blockages at the bottom of the drum. So these are things that you just want to keep an eye on. Yeah, that's it, and then we're on to the filters, aren't we? Robin, how's that? Aye, sounds clear enough for now, big guy. I don't know whether uh, Mr. Apple Jobs, Steve Jobs or Apple has uh, made a wee asset when he's been designing one of these phones, you know? Well, you should stick to Android products. Right, so I was uh, on to the filter, I was on to the filter, mate. So I was just saying uh, annual inspection, you know, get a contractor in, perfect time again. I, very, I doubt there's very much day-to-day -day people that will be able to, to do that themselves uh, that might be joining us in the podcast. There might be some up there, though. They're quite confident enough to do an annual inspection. You know, um, if you're going to open it up, look for signs of mud balling, you know, measure the distance off the top of the filter, uh, rod the sand. Uh, a lot of places will start to use a chemical, put a chemical through it to try and get rid of some of the body fat and biofilms inside the filter. Take purging some digital... Yeah, purging the filter. A lot of places do that now. It, it just uh, it brings the media back to brand new almost, you know, purging yeah. the filter. You want to be checking for corrosion in the unit and undulations in the, the media as well, that sort of stuff. But yeah, someone yeah. should be taking photos of it, creating a Definitely. report and sending it to you. Definitely. Once a year, in your planned preventative maintenance. And you know, one of the things, Robin, that's worthwhile taking advantage of just now is um, air bleeds. So I know we, we use air bleeds all the time, but I find a lot of automatic air bleeds fail over the years because no one gets up there and maintains them. So that's another little point that you can maybe look at is is maintain the automatic air bleeds. And, uh, you know, check that your inlet and outlet pressures are actually working at this point. Again, it might be something you have to report to your pool contractor, but let's get the inlet and outlet pressures, have a look at them, make sure they're working correctly. Because um, a lot of the time you go in and they failed or broken. I'm sure you've had that a few times. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, there's something that, uh, listen, Putag put it in their code of practice, it's clear as day, how, you know, complete an annual inspection report. And it, it gives a wee quick description of what you're looking for. So it has to be done. It has to be in there. Yeah. So there's not much else we can do with the filter, but, you know, you might well have this. You might not. What about your air scourer? You know, the amount of times I've had a look at an air scourer, Robin, and the filter on the air scourer is packed. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. No one's thought that the air scourer draws in air, obviously blasts compressed air through the base of your filter, and they've never thought to maybe have a look at the air filter and the actual scourer, clean it out, give it a bit of a hoover, uh, you know, do that. And, and thinking about that, actually, I forgot to mention, when you think about your pool pumps, just brushing the back of the, fit, the, the fan cover, uh, you know, that draws the air in at the back there. I wouldn't take it off, obviously, because there's a spinning blade in there but certainly giving it a good old brush and um, getting all the dust and the crap off the back, which is going to benefit you. Yeah, yeah. No, it's all good points, big guy, all good points. Um, 
yeah, I'm still hearing a wee bit of interference, so I'll try and briefly get or get through the next wee bit as quickly as we can before I start to crumble again and get knocked out of this anchor podcast, carry on. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, the filters, you're, you're spot on, you're bang on with, with that side of it. And uh, what are we moving on to? What move moving on to next? Is it UV or are we, we going with... Uh, it's not loving us tonight, mate. No, it's not. I can't even blame the Wi-Fi because this is fucking shit hot now, you know? I don't know what it is. Uh, um, so, yeah, <laughs> let, let's let's move on to the UV then. So, um, you know, maintenance-wise, well, there's only a few things we can do here. We can uh, check to see uh, that the lamp hours are fine. You know, check to see the light med- med- uh, readings are fine. But there is a, a top hat or a witch's hat strainer in there which might be a bit beyond some of you because they are difficult to remove, very difficult to remove in some cases. Uh, there is a couple of companies out there, Robin, now putting in traditional strainers instead, uh, which makes life a lot easier when it comes to removing them. Uh, but top hat strainers is the one that uh, takes my mind. Anything you can think of on the unit you might want to maintain? No, it's just more the light bulb, isn't it? It's the life expectancy of it. You'll probably have a wee uh, display that shows you the the efficiency of the bulb and it'll go down in a percentage and when it reaches a, a certain percentage according to the manu- according to the manufacturer's instructions you'll need to get the light bulb replaced and that's normally within about probably 12 months uh, it does need a wee you know sometimes the you need to get the wee casing the, the quartz casing cleaned because you can get some chemical uh, pollution just sticking to the outside of that, that will sometimes need clean but that should be done in your service when you get the, mm. the lamp replaced so that's probably it's, it, this will be a contractor's job I, I do yeah. know uh, Dundee, Olympia, they clean their own quartz uh, and do their own maintenance of the UV but apart from them I think everyone else gets a, a contractor in to do the job but yeah. it's a very very expensive bit of kit so you didn't want to be dropping it. You're talking about a grand for a bulb, roughly, roughly speaking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Well, you, you're you're moving on to the the, the heat exchanger, isn't it? Yeah. So this is probably, I mean, certainly for uh, one of the big problems for us down here is that it gets scaled up. That's not an issue yeah. for you. Though. No, no, it gets corroded yeah. in my neck of the woods. You know. Yeah. So this is probably our ideal time to get it. Um, sort of uh, descaled, get the unit taken apart, whether it be a clarifier, plate exchange, get it taken apart, get the system removed, you know, and get the plates apart and give them a good clean, uh, making sure they're sealed. Again, that's probably a contractor job. Yeah. I, I can't think of any pools I know of where it's actually done well. Only one that I can think of where it's actually done by them. Yeah, that's a definite contractor's job. I wouldn't be looking to, you know, start, removing the heat exchanger plates. It's a very complex system. You know, it's a honeycomb centre, great surface area, but if you don't get it right when you put it back, then you've got issues, don't you? You certainly don't want to be compromising the integrity of your heat exchanger. And even if you've not got a heat exchanger and you've got a chlorifier, then that's probably of a certain age. And you certainly need to be aware aware of of potential issues of, um, you know, things uh, being corroded and seized or being parts being replaced or whatever so a contractor is probably the the best route to go down for that i might not need much 
to be honest, they might just need checked. Robin, one last point and it's back to basics. Yeah? Yeah. I've thought of this. Now, maybe not for you up in, in Scotland just now, but there is other options and you'll see where I'm going with this in a second. Um, down here in England, obviously, it's an ideal opportunity um, for polls to do something which which is clearly over missed, uh, overlooked a lot of the time. The PTOP manual. Oh, procedure. So, yes, because you've got a lot of time on your hands. The pool technical technical operators um, procedures uh, or the PTOP manual, which is recommended in the code of practice, which gives you a brief overview of, of what you actually need. But this is an ideal opportunity because it's the one manual when you go to site and ask for, they don't have. Do the Robin. No, it's it's a it's a long old process, isn't it? It's it's no easy creating one of these. It, every time I do a pool plan operators course and I come across somebody that's no got one of these, they always say that's brilliant, Robin. We'll we'll, we'll get one because uh, I always take one along to show them, and it's and it's always one that's got images. You know uh, how to do a water test with images, how to uh, unblock an injector using images and text. And they're like, oh, I love that, brilliant, that's great, that's great, Robin. Um, uh, we're definitely going to get that done. But, you know, see if you're doing a, a PTOP or an SPTO or what, whatever you want to call it, technical manual, and you're doing it from a standing start, and you've never done it before, it's probably about two, three weeks worth of work. And it's just a nightmare to try and get to fruition. Um, but, it's listen... There's plenty of guys out there that can help. There's Ian Ogilvie, there's myself. Uh, we're uh, well-versed in, in, in this uh, type of work. We can help. We can, yeah. you, we, you know, we can provide advice. We, can, we could probably even do the whole thing for you if that was what you wanted to do. Um, possibly, maybe uh, we could you know, put some... Some examples, maybe in, in in the Facebook page in the documents or something, or or even put some yeah. screenshots screenshots on the Facebook page just to give people an idea of what they should be trying to achieve. Um, the water testing one that I've done is a favourite, you know, but it's about twenty six pages. Honestly, it's got all the detail on it. How to do a DPD one, putting a little bit of water in, using the syringe, making sure the diamond is at the front, making sure the caps are on, making sure everything's run, you know, everything's clean before you use it. All the standards. I mean, that's the key here. Your technical operator's manual should include all the standards that are required. So when you're going to clean out an injector, what PPE you should have, where's the injector, yes. what you, you know, um, Make sure that your automatic uh, dosing is switched off. All the basics, all the you know, because this is where problems arrive. This is last year there was a major incident uh, at uh, in Edinburgh where six people had to go to hospital due to a chlorine gas leak. That's what it said in the newspaper. It wasn't a chlorine gas leak because the place doesn't use chlorine gas. It uses uh, an acid, uh, a dry acid, and it uses uh, a, an alkali disinfectant and hypochlorite, and the two mixed together. You know, that's the problem. Yeah. Uh, but this is where training procedures and supervision is all examined by the, the courts and and those that are seeking compensation. And you need to have those procedures in place. And it's there to help prevent incidents from occurring in the first place. So if you want to clean Train. an injector, then you need to have a visual procedure there showing yeah. what your PPE should be putting on, 
what's the step-by-step process, the basics, make sure your chemical dosing is switched off and so on, you're isolating the, the, the chlorine. Uh, we, we've gone through injector cleaning already on one of the previous podcasts, but you need to have that image there. And this is, you know, this is code of practice stuff. This is putai code of practice. Stipulate chapter two, chapter one, chap, chapter two it is code of practice. You need to have a pool technical operator's uh, manual with things like the details of the pool, schematic, uh, and uh, all your procedures in there as well. So it's something that I do a lot of. I'm doing that this week. I'm actually finishing off a project for a client, and I'm finishing off their technical manuals for them. So it's been a it's been a long old process, uh, especially with the COVID nineteen situation. But uh, I'm hopeful that I can get them sent out to the customer at the start of the next week. So that'll be a nice wee job done. No, it's um, it is key at this point to try and get these things done. Um, I think you've got an ideal opportunity with the sort of time on your hands, um, and it is it's a it's a it's a difficult and it's a long undertaking. But um, now is the time to probably start off and do that. Um, and you know what? If you can, and if you're successful at it, you've just taken a one massive step towards pull mark. Big time. Um, Big time. It's a red yeah. line, isn't it? Ian? It's a red line. If you don't have an SPTO manual or PTOP, you can't get pull mark. And it's uh, the pull mark is, is we we want as many pulls out there with pull mark as possible coming out of the other end of this uh, coronavirus because we want to be talking positively about pools. We want to be sending messages to the clients, the customers, the bathers, uh, everyone saying, listen, come to the swimming pools. They're safe. We've got awards and accolades for that prove that we're safe. Follow best practice. Yeah. Uh, Mike, Mike Schuff, uh, he talked about that in one of our recent podcasts. And he went through the detail of that. So if you've not listened to that podcast, get your, get your lugs around it, as they say in Scotland. And get get the uh, downloading it, and you can get more detail about the pool mark award. So, big man, I'm going to have to shoot again. Lots, yeah. as you say, I've got lots of uh, dependents that, that rely on me and at home. So, and what, it's been a bit that of a blowing. Sorry, mate. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Aye. Robin, yeah. Before you go, you know about the three rings in life, don't you? Go and hit me with that big guy. So when you met when you met Mary, your wife, you, obviously at some point you gave her the first ring. Yeah. Which, which was what? Which was uh, the jelly baby ring. No, no, mate. The engagement ring. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> so then you gave her the second ring a few years later, probably, which was what? The wedding ring. Yeah, that was it. And then then came the third ring, which was what? The old ring for the strainer. No, it was the suffering. <laughs> Jesus, big guy. There talks somebody who's no got kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, I'll need to love you and leave you. Nice one. Back to basics was good. Hopefully the listeners enjoy it. Uh, we will have some celebrious guests coming up soon. We've got lots yeah. of ideas on the horizon. Uh, we will keep this going. The demand is there. Uh, please keep in touch. We need to start doing Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and all that carry on. But you know what? Uh, we're dinosaurs, but we'll get there. We'll yeah, get we will there. do. Right. Chief, I'll okay. let you go on your dinner. All right. Thanks, mate.
Take it easy. Cheers. Bye.